We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Let's open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And today we get to finish this book. It's been such a neat book. A lot of verses, but the reason we have to cover so much ground today is it's because it's, it's really uh, just uniform in thought. I, I was thinking of this one young man who played professional basketball. He still does. He started off with the Warriors and then the Rockets and then the Knicks, and now he's on the Lakers. He's still young. He's only 26 years old, and uh, I believe he has a bright future ahead of him, whether it's in professional basketball or any other venue. And the reason I say that about him is because God is his priority, and he has an excellent work ethic. Uh, His name is Jeremy Lin. I I like the one statement. He said, I'm not working hard, practicing day in or day out so that I can please other people. He said, my audience is God. And I, and I love that. You know, I love the fact that he is working hard. And, you know, you might say, well, he's not the best professional basketball player, but he is a professional basketball player, <laughs> 26 years old. And, you know, I don't know for sure what's going to happen as far as basketball goes. And I apologize. I think that's a Knicks uniform up there. And he's actually on the Lakers now, for now, anyways. But man, God's got a great future for him because God is his priority and he has a strong work ethic. And it's important for us to have that. As we study today, we're going to see the importance of working hard and even the fact that it's important to God that we work hard and it's something that we need to guard as a congregation. Look what it says here in verse 6. Paul says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember that Paul said in verse 4 of this chapter, look there, he says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. And so Paul says, I believe you guys are going to obey. And, And here he gets specific in those orders. I think he even gets a little feisty. You know, it's not just a run-in-the-mill, casual command. It's a formal command. Notice he says there, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is like, you know, there's got some authority behind it, right? There's some, some formality. Uh, the Greek word here used, even goes beyond the casual command in the original language. It speaks of a military order handed down from an officer. And so Paul was an ordained officer, so to speak, by the Lord. He commanded them to to do what? He says there in verse 6, to withdraw. To withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions 
the apostles had given. You know, the, the word withdraw, um, it's uh, the word uh, stello. It's used two times in the Bible. Uh, it speaks of withdrawing. It speaks of avoiding. Uh, one translation says keep away from them. Another says stay away from them. The Phillips translation says do not associate with them. And apparently even in the church, and I know it sounds kind of weird, maybe you're here today and you disagree with that. How can that ever be? How could I ever withdraw? How could I ever keep away or stay away? Well, who are you? This is God's word, and there is a time to withdraw. That's what the Bible says, right? And so we see there's that time to avoid, according to the scriptures here. It's when the person who says that he or she is a Christian is out of order. Uh, the word here is disorderly. And Paul uses the word three times in his chapter, twice as an adverb, which means to kind of play truant. Uh, once as a verb, it means to that individual who neglects their duty. In the Greek literature, in ancient literature, the word here in the Greek is found frequently, and it's used primarily of soldiers who were deviating from their orders. They were out of ranks. Uh, it actually comes from another Greek word used only once in the Bible. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, to warn those who are unruly. And so here's what the Bible says, and we need to be obedient to this, because Paul, Paul says, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to withdraw from these individuals who were disorderly, or First Thessalonians calls them unruly. And think about that for a second, unruly. You just look at it in the English language. Here's somebody, don't, I don't like the rules. I don't like the rules. Uh, think about the, the word disorderly, right? Here's the guy who says, I don't like orders. I don't like orders. I don't want to, you know, fall in line with the traditions of the teachings of the apostles. It's interesting. In 1 Thessalonians, he warned them. And in 2 Thessalonians, where they were still unruly. They were not heeding the warnings. They were still disorderly. So Paul moves from warning now to withdrawing. Paul teaches us here at the end of verse 6, notice right there, that they are not walking according to the tradition which he received from us. And that's in reference to the apostolic teaching. Uh, the word tradition, it's rooted really in the word give, and it speaks of giving order. Um, you know, just translating that teaching from one generation to another it began, first of all, with the first century apostles of Christ. As a matter of fact, if you go to chapter 2, look at verse 15 of this letter. Paul says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. And we're going to see this, you guys, because just in case you're wondering, I'm not, you know, we're not being weird here. Um, there were two main things going on in Thessalonica. One is there were some individuals teaching that they were already in the tribulation period. They're, they were way off. They were overthrowing the faith. I mean, it was just a huge mistake. And Paul uh, deals with that in chapter 2. And then we're going to see in chapter 3, the main thing was that there were some men 
who were not willing to work and they were leeching off of the congregation who was being so kind to them. And, and both of them were rooted in bad theology, you see. And so this is what he's telling them. I warned them, first letter, they won't listen. Now we're going to have to withdraw. Now why would God uh, uh, command such a thing? Because he loves them and he wants them to start working. And he wants them to start working because God has a work for them to do in which they will find their purpose in life fulfilled. And so we're going to see. It's a really cool thing. It's actually a real practical thing. Um, and, and so, you know, again, what's going on? Well, there are people, and, you know, this is primarily in reference to men, right? But ladies, I mean, it can be applicable to you as well, huh? Because you have to work hard, wouldn't you say? And uh, um, I think generally speaking, you, you guys do. We know that. Most of us here do. But maybe there's a couple that need to be challenged again to, to know the beauty of working hard, whether you're a man or a woman. Just the beauty of that, right? I mean, here were guys, at boss, again, primarily in reference to men, but they, you know, they were intentionally, defiantly, and lazily sponging off the people. Uh, they were not willing to work, but they were willing, because a lot of people know how to work the system, right? They know how to work the system. They didn't work, and they didn't want to work. They didn't have a job, and they didn't bother looking for a job. So you might ask, well, if they didn't have any amount of honest income coming in, then how did they survive? How did they get their bean and cheese burritos, you know? And, and, and we know the answer is that they freeloaded off the kindness and generosity of the congregation. And that's what they ended up doing. You know, and, and you know, I, I just want to share this with you guys for us to know. Um, it just work is good. And working hard is good. And it's godly. It's beautiful. It's honorable. You know, a lot of people think work is bad. Like, I don't want to work, you know. I mean, that's kind of like a, a bad thing. It's, it's part of the fall. It's part of the farm nature, and almost like it's sin. And, they, and they'll kind of like do everything they can to squeak by by doing as little as they can. They don't want to sweat. They don't want to work hard. And, and, you know, we have these misconceptions sometimes. More than likely what's happening here in Thessalonica is they were thinking, well, the Lord's coming soon, and so why should I go and get a job? That's secular, you know? I can get my heart ready because Jesus is coming, right? And that's just bad, it's just bad theology, right? Uh, we, we need to know that, that in God's doctrine, uh, work is good. And I can say this to men, you know, that's why he gave you so much more muscles than, than women because he wants you to work hard. You know, Warren Wiersbe said, man needs work for the fulfillment of his own person. God created him to work. It's in his DNA, right? And, and you know, I just really pray that you guys would know that. You know, my wife uh, was telling me about how not only will God... Uh, notice when someone works hard but others will notice 
I believe that when you're there in your workplace and your boss sees you as a faithful worker and you're working hard, uh, I almost always, uh, although we know sometimes there are politics involved, and sometimes God doesn't want you to move up, but you're almost always going to move up. God will promote you because you're faithful, you're there on time, you're working hard, you're doing what your boss is telling you to do, you're submissive. It's a really good place for men to be. And God will notice and and others will notice. Uh, She told me this story about a man who was negotiating to buy a house and he bought it without even seeing it. And they asked him, why would you take such a risk? Why would you buy a house without even seeing it? And his answer was, well, I know the man who built that house. And he builds his Christianity into every single brick. And that's what happens when you work hard. God will honor, and I think others will see. And we need to know that work is honorable. Did you know that labor was a part of man's life before the fall? You know, granted, Adam did transition from being a gardener to being a farmer. We know there was that transition, right? But prior to the fall, God gave them work. God gave them responsibilities. And for us, it doesn't matter if it's manual labor or mental labor. Both are exhausting, and yet both are exhilarating. It's good to work hard. You know, have you ever noticed when you read the Bible that God called people who were busy at work? Moses and David were faithful shepherds. Gideon and Amos were faithful farmers. James, John, Peter, and Andrew were all hardworking fishermen. And even though you may not like what Matthew did, he was a tax collector, right? He did have a job. Luke was a physician. Some people think, well, they don't have a job. I'll just be, you know, go into the ministry. God calls guys who are already working hard. As a matter of fact, D.L. Moody said, God doesn't call lazy men. And so in looking at this and looking at what's going on in Thessalonica, you know, Paul is just saying, you know what, this is a problem there. You've got guys that are doing this, and I need to warn them. And if they're not going to heed the warnings, then you as a congregation need to get involved to help them and withdraw. I mean, here's a group of guys who thought that Jesus' coming meant they didn't need to be working. And so Paul commands the Christians to withdraw. Paul even says, you know, you should know better than that. For a couple of reasons. Number one, because of our example when we were there. And then number two, because of our teaching when we were there. And I believe that when you're learning things, uh, it actually does come in that order. You're going to learn by example, and then you're going to learn by instruction. Uh, Look what Paul says in verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Remember, Paul had been there at Thessalonica. He was only there for three weeks. So it's not like he's going to go on staff, right? But while he was there, he was working hard. Paul here speaks of following in verse 7, and he's talking about following his example. And that's something that Paul spoke of many times, and it's a prayer of mine that one day, I'm not there yet, but maybe one day we can be able to say, follow my example, because we're living that life. Uh, 
Paul was able to say it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He said the same thing in chapter 4, verse 9, same letter. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. He said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Imagine that. The, the Greek word is to mimic. Mimic me. Paul had been so transformed by the Lord. He was such a hard worker. And he loved Jesus. He was able to say that in his life and, and with his teachings to, to mimic him. But there's a key uh, later on in the same letter, in chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. And that's the key. Paul said, you know, uh, I've given you an example. And a lot of times we need that example. We need that, that visual. We need the braille to come off the pages. We need to be able to see it in the flesh. And thank God that we have those examples. And he says, imitate me, just as I imitate Christ. Um, and, you know, just in case you're wondering, uh, Jesus worked hard. You guys know that, right? I mean, first he was a carpenter. And I would imagine he was probably pretty good as a carpenter. We know that can be hard work. And then after that, he was a teacher. He was a tireless teacher. And you read the book of Mark and you see that he started early in the morning and he was there late at night. And there were times that he would be teaching and ministering and touching. They didn't even have time to eat. He was a hard worker as a carpenter, as a teacher, as our Savior. And there he was and he you know, was nailed to a cross. You think that was easy? No, that was hard work redeeming us and for us as as congregants and especially as men we should take that and run with it as our example Jesus Christ he even said in the gospel of John chapter 5 verse 17 he said my father has been working until now and and I have been working and I love that because there you have the example so to speak of the father and the example he gives to his son and as a father's working hard, his son will see. And he will have an example before him. He even said later in John 9 verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. So we need to work hard because it's honorable, because it's commanded, and because the day will come when we can't work any longer. Paul says, we were an example to you. Uh, first of all, verse 7, uh, for we were not disorderly, right? We were not disorderly among you. Uh, secondly, in verse 8, we paid for our own food. Now, does that mean that, that you can't have someone treat you for lunch? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, if you want to buy me a hamburger, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no. But you know, what it is, is in the setting of, I'm not going to work, I'm sure you'll, you'll take care of me. You know, and almost like you're, we live in a world, what's that word? Um, 
Uh, can't think of it. Second service, maybe I'll, I'll think of it. It's just where, where you, you feel like it's owed to you. You know, like they owe, oh, what's entitled, right? We, we feel like that. I'm entitled to this. You know, that's where they were. And Paul says, no, uh, well, I wasn't disorderly. I, I, I paid for my own food. I bought my own meals. And in verse 8, he says, I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. You know, and a lot of times that's what ends up happening. What ends up happening, verse, the, the fourth thing is he said, we worked hard. We labored and toiled uh, night and day. And the word labored, it, it means like you beat your breast with grief. The word toiled, it speaks of difficult labor to the point of distress. And, uh, and that's where they were. If you remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, he wrote about it. It says, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. And so, not just working, but working hard. And I know, like, in, in all the jobs that I've had over the years, it started off when, you know, I was just a teenager. I, I thank God that he's always given me a job. But I've seen guys that work hard. And I've seen the majority that don't. That basically they want to say, well, I'll just kind of get by with as little as I can. Sometimes they blame it on their boss because my boss is this type of person. Well, that's not your boss. God is your boss. You work unto the Lord, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and you work hard. Now Paul said we didn't receive remuneration, not because we didn't have the right, but he in that context there wanted to show them that example. You know, the Thessalonians should have known, first of all, because of their example, secondly, because of their teaching. Look at verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. I mean, if we, if we implemented that, imagine how much weight we would lose as a country, man. <laughs> For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are, are busybodies. And so this is, I know you're like, well, the Bible says that, you know, yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. My wife says this to me sometimes. <laughs> Just joking. You know, but she's got, uh, you know, responsibilities and things. And, you know, I want you to trim the roses and wash the car and, you know, take care of that little hole in the wall right there. And a lot of times guys, guys won't. So she'll say this. You don't work. You don't. No, I'm just joking. It's obviously a bigger thing, right? How's that for a command? And then here's the thing, you guys. Of course, it's not speaking of someone who really, truly can't work due to disability. You know, in our, in our country, we have disability. Thank God for that. But I have a feeling that a lot of people abuse that. And they apply for disability when in all reality, they could be working. So if you can't work, it's understandable, right? And it's also not speaking of someone who's looking for a job and they're hitting the streets but they can't find a job. You know, my heart goes out to such a person. I, I've never been in that situation, but let's just say I was tomorrow. I know it's not easy. But man, according to the scriptures, I would just be searching, searching. I'd start at McDonald's if I have to. If they would hire me, I don't know. But I'd get a job. 
This is what the Bible says. It's not what Manny says. This is in reference to swindlers. This is in reference to lazy people. This is in reference to those who take advantage of the kindness of others, not willing to work. As a matter of fact, instead of being busy working their busy bodies, it says there in verse 11, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. You know, and the word busybody is kind of a funny word. It, it, it speaks about people who are just kind of put, putting around, doing things that are needless, useless, and almost pointless. You know, sorry, Mom, I would help, but I've got a couple of video games that I need to conquer, you know, right now. <laughs> sorry, Dad, I would get a job, but you know what? I've got to hang out with the boys. It's bonding time, Dad, making friends. Can I have $20? No, don't give him a Twinkie, man. <laughs> Teach him to work, right? A busybody also carries the idea of meddling into the affairs of other people. And it's funny how this works, how these go hand in hand. You know, they don't really have anything. There's no purpose. They're not fulfilling the purpose in their life. And so what do they do? They begin to meddle in the affairs of other people's life. When I'm working, I'm too busy to be a metichi. Right? I'm too busy to start getting his birds and hers and start slandering people. Next thing you know, you're judging people when you should be working yourself. And so Paul here is addressing the body, and then he addresses the busy bodies. Look what he says in verse 12. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. He says, such people, such men, uh, we command. There's that word again. Um, we exhort. And that's a, a, an encouraging word. I, I, know, I don't know if there's anyone here that's getting convicted and you're like, oh, that's me. You know what? Praise God for his conviction. You know, I think all of us here, I, I think, probably, you know, sense that calling to work harder you know, but don't think of it as a, as a bad thing. It's an encouragement. The word right here is an exhortation. And that word speaks of, we're just encouraging you to do what God has called you. God has called you to do, right? And so, again, it's interesting. Paul here is, it's not just a casual thing. He says, we exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is authority, this is formality, that, that you work in, in quietness and that you eat your own bread. It's time to settle down and get a job. It's time to settle down and to be able to buy your own things, earn it. Um, to be in quietness, I think, also carries the idea of you don't have to be a busybody anymore, gossiping about people, saying things like that. That's not your job. And then and the Lord just begins to purify the church, right? Now that they settle down and earn the bread they eat. They settle down, get to work, and earn their own living. Now, again, you know, for us, we need, I've noticed in life as Christians, we always need to have that biblical balance. And again, please don't misunderstand me. When someone cannot work and is in genuine need, it's the privilege and the duty of the church to help them right? When they cannot work and there's a genuine need, praise God, it's a good thing 
for us to help. Then the Bible says that many times in James 2, 14 through 17, talks about real you know, faith. And 1 John 3, 16 to 18 talks about real love. Um, but here's the thing. If he can work and simply refuses to do so, Paul says, don't help them. On the contrary, I command you and I encourage you to know that work is good. So, you know, someone hears a message like this, right? And a lot of times when you find out that there are people who are not honest, they're, they're just lazy, they're just swindlers, what might we do? We might let then the pendulum swing to the other extreme and not help anybody at all, right? That can happen. And, and so look at verse 13. Uh, Paul says, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Uh, never tire in doing what's right. Now, more than likely, this is in reference to those of the congregation that were working hard. And they might see others that aren't working hard. And they might say, that's not fair. Look at how they're getting rich. <laughs> and I'm over here, you know, working hard and I'm not. But it's okay. Don't ever get tired of doing what's right. Don't ever get tired of working hard. God will honor that. I think that's the primary emphasis there. But I also believe, based on Galatians, that there's more to it. Um, if you would, go over to Galatians. Mark here. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Because they say the, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And Galatians 6, in verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. Oh, sounds a lot like what we just read in Thessalonians. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those to those who are of the household of faith. And so, you know, looking at that passage and then having been a Christian now and even involved in the ministry, in the benevolence ministry for, man, you know, 20 years, I, I wouldn't believe, I wouldn't be surprised if there was also in reference to don't get tired of helping people, even though sometimes you have people who are dishonest, you know, um, when there's a genuine need, you know, you continue to help them, you know, and how many of us here, I wonder, have been, you know, maybe ripped off, you know, I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I was probably a Christian for about three weeks, I met this guy on the street, and oh, he had such a good story, and he was such a good talker, and he talked me into going to my ATM, <laughs> and withdrawing money from my ATM, and he said, oh, you go to Calvary Chapel, West Covina, so do I, and it was a big church, you know, so you couldn't really know who was there. And he says, I'll pay you back tonight at Bible study. And I said, oh, that's cool. And I was just totally like thinking, Lord, this is awesome, you know. <laughs> I ran into this guy and, you know, you're able to help him out. And, of course, you know, he never showed up. You know, I, I began to learn that there are actually people like that. I remember, like, as a new Christian even, like, I, I had a cousin and, and she was going through so much. And I invited her to church and, you know, she went forward to accept the Lord, 
And, you know, back then I thought, well, if you get full, if you go forward, then, you know, you're saved. And I realized that it's not just going forward in, in the altar call. There's more to it, right? So anyways, man, I just thought, oh, she's saved. She's saved. She has the Spirit of God. And so, you know, my wife and I, we went, and she didn't have a place to live. And we, sh- we actually got her an apartment. We paid first and last. Oh, man, that was the last time I saw her, you know. <laughs> she never went back to church, and she left us with uh, thousands of dollars you know, to pay because we had cosign, right? I mean, just basically, you know, you hear these things and we go through them. I mean, story after story, even us as a church. When we were there in Garvey, we get people in all the time. It's hard to find out who was real and who wasn't. Even here, we help people with rent, you know, wrote them a check, you know, benevolence. And next thing you know, they took that routing number and they went into our account. So we don't give out checks. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, I, I, we're real careful only because of that, okay? But going to the other extreme to say, I'm never going to help anybody anymore, is that what God wants? No. There has to be prayer involved. There has to be balance involved. And I believe that's probably part of what he's saying right here. Don't grow weary in doing good. You know, you were giving these guys bread. You were giving them tortillas. You know, you were giving them tamales. And now you know that, that they were not really honest about it. But don't, you know, recoil to the point that you're not going to help anybody anymore. You know, again, probably primarily just in reference to, I need you to keep working. But I think also there's a, 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 an overall biblical message in that I want you to continue to help. Don't get tired of, of doing good. And so Paul, you know, we're not supposed to allow those who are just straight out lazy, right? Leech off the body of Christ. We're supposed to withdraw from them after warning them, right? Uh, And we don't go looking for them. That's part of withdrawing, so to speak. But Paul, it's a question. What if they come looking for us? Look at what he says in verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed... Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You know, and so they don't like the apostolic teaching. Uh, they don't like the rules of the Redeemer. They're unruly. They don't like to obey the orders of God. They're disorderly. They don't just, you know, they don't care about the commandments of Christ. Then he says, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. That's what, that's what the Bible says. Now, some say not keeping company with them. Warren Wiersbe, he, he holds the idea that it means you don't invite them over your house and you don't partake of communion with them. That's what Wiersbe would say. I think he might be reading into it a little bit. But it does speak of, uh, it actually literally means mixing together with them. That's not something that you would initiate. But if you do see them and if you do you know, and it might even be that they're still, you know, coming to the church because it doesn't necessarily say excommunication. So again, we're trying to figure out exactly what this means, but somewhere in there, if you, you know, run into them, talk to them, this is what you do. You warn them. You don't like, you know, pamper them. Oh, how you doing? You still got that same doctrine? <laughs> 
you know, that, that just out of curiosity that, that says you don't have to, you don't have to work because Jesus is coming? You still believe that? <laughs> Are you still, you know, um, without a work ethic as a Christian man? You're still there? Man, I, I, I just, I want to exhort you. Right here, the word admonish. I want to admonish you as a brother. You're not my enemy. You're hurting yourself, not me. And that's what he says. That's what we're to do. We're not to mix up or keep company or be intimate with them. No, Warren Risby said this, For obedient saints to treat disobedient Christians with the same friendship they show to other dedicated saints is to give approval to their sins. And so what do you do? You warn them. And, you know, you just pray that they're open, man, to come to that place where God can actually bless their life. You know, remember, they're not your enemy. And I really want to encourage you guys to know that it doesn't matter who the person is who's done wrong or maybe even done you wrong. They're not your enemy. You know, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Our true enemies are spiritual beings. And so we never count them as enemies, but we see them and admonish them into the brotherhood. This can be tough, right? And so uh, Paul, I think, closes with this benediction here uh, for a reason. Look at verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I mean, the Thessalonians were going through a lot. They were going through persecution. Uh, they had these issues of guys saying the tribulation was already there, false teaching, forging letters. And they were also experiencing this dynamic that we spoke of today and that there were actually men that were leeching off the congregation. So tough place to be, a tough command to give. I need you to withdraw. And so, you know, in the midst of all that difficulty and even pain, Paul says right here in verse 16, and this is the fourth time he's prayed for them in this letter, you know, may the Lord of peace himself, that's very personal, right? Give you peace when? Always, in every situation. Well, you're like, well, how can that happen? The second part of the prayer is the Lord be with you, right? The Lord be with you all. You know, and I always think about the promise, how the Lord says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, I'll always be with you. But have you guys ever prayed with people and the Lord, will you be with them, be with my wife, be with my kids? It's biblical. It's okay to pray that. Even though we know it's a promise, what it is is a promise that we hold on to, right? And so I just love this. Paul says, I, I want you guys as a congregation to be so blessed. I want you to have peace in doing the will of God. You're not going to have peace outside of the will of God. But in doing the will of God, may he give you peace. May he give you his presence. This is really me, Paul says. I'm writing the letter in verse 17. And then in verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so today, you know, um, I encourage you. And, and for me too, you know, it's a, it's a challenge uh, to work a little harder. I don't know if you guys ever... Get, I don't know if the Holy Spirit ever, you know, talks to you about laziness. Does he ever say anything to you about that? 
challenge you in the areas? How many of you guys read your Proverbs? There's a lot in there about laziness, huh? Because it's uh, something that, that we, uh, we see. Even in the Proverbs chapter 6, it says, Go to the ant, sluggard. <laughs> That's kind of weird, huh? I call him a sluggard. <laughs> Go to the ant and watch him. He doesn't have a captain, an overseer. But during the summer, man, he's working hard and he's supplying his needs because he knows the winter's coming. I remember when I went to South America, I saw these big ants. And they had this long line, and I was just tripping out on how hard they were working. They were carrying things that were way bigger than them, right? And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. That's just like the Bible says, you know? (laughs) And it's true. It's true. We have the lessons from the ants. We have the lessons in the Proverbs. And, 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 And today, not just like taking the whip and beating you and say, you know, you guys are lazy, you're bad, you're wicked, you know? No, but just saying the promises of God that are if you work hard, man, he will bless you. You know, so why wouldn't you want to work hard? You know, again, going back to Jeremy Lin, let me close with a, a quote. He said, I've been blessed with talent, and that talent is my passion. So why wouldn't I wake up every single day trying to become the best basketball player I could become in order to glorify God. And that's how I feel about you guys. You've been blessed with gifts, talents, and opportunities, and skills, and things in life, callings, jobs, workings, whatever it might be. You know, dads, moms, husbands, wives. I encourage you, work hard. Be the best you can be. Not for your glory, but but for His glory. And when that's your motive, you're going to see that it ends up being for His glory and then also for their good. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.